0: Thank you. up everybody you are listening to the latest episode of reasonably outrageous my name is matt wyrick and i'm along with blake pace here on a tuesday night heading into when we release the show wednesday morning uh what is it now june we've missed a few episodes uh the past week <laughs> in case you guys haven't noticed um we've been a little bit busy uh real life certainly hitting us a bit hard in the face the past few weeks blake how you doing man haven't talked to you in a while
1: I'm good, yeah. I feel like we've been texting, you know, occasionally here and there, but like you said, it has been kind of uh, kind of busy uh, recently, so, you know, glad we were able to get a show on here now, and I guess what, so we missed all of last week, and then I guess Monday as well, too, but... We're still here and there's a lot going on in sports right now. So this is like a, a good time to pile up. We've got NFL and OTAs, the veteran minicamp, NBA finals, the Stanley Cup finals. And then, you know, baseball, we're in the thick of things. The draft was last night. I know you wanted to touch on that a few places. I know we're heading in a couple different directions. But um, yeah, so it's a good time for sports right now. As, as long as, you know, I mean, when NBA and hockey wrap up, kind of that dry period. Of course we'll get the NBA free agency and the draft and stuff, but it's essentially, you know, the break until training camps and preseason for football. You've got kind of those middle months of baseball, but you know, as we know, baseball kind of intensifies when we get closer to uh to uh postseason play. But yeah, so uh, you know, I'm good. I've been I've been watching some sports. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Yankees baseball, of course, uh, <laughs> as I was talking with Matt before they won their ninth series in a row they win this series in Toronto they'll have won 10 series in a row for the first time since like the 50s so uh, that's been pretty cool and and they've still got a bunch of players coming back and uh, Matt how are those uh, Nats doing? They're actually
0: they're doing pretty well I think the game uh, just started uh, from when we I think it's 740 now it started at 710 Right mm-hmm. now they're playing the White Sox. If the score would load, I'd see it. We're losing four <laughs> oh, nothing.
1: there you go. Uh, in the first
0: <laughs> inning, gotta love it. Um, <laughs> but we've won the Nats have won seven of nine, so definitely oh, playing okay. a bit better baseball right now. Uh, won a good. few series again. They have a big stretch against bottom feeder teams, so hopefully Washington can take advantage. Um, but you know, had a good pick yesterday in the draft, picking uh, 17th. They got a kid named Jackson Rutledge out of Florida State. Uh, or no, mm-hmm. no, sorry. He went to Arizona state and then went to a junior college. Uh, they gotcha. got their second, their third round pick was from Florida state, but this kid, uh, was supposed to go in the top 10, but slipped down to them at 17. So the Nats took advantage, picked him, seems to profile. Well, he was the, the only pitcher at that point left who still had ace potential. So, you know, hard to oh, fault cool. Nats for making that pick. Now this was a pretty mm-hmm. weak draft for pitchers overall. Uh, I want to say the first six picks were all position players, uh, mm-hmm. we didn't, I think we only saw two high school pitchers in the entire first round, which, uh, oh, wow. shows a lot of, you know, the, how there's, there's usually some stars at the top. We didn't really see that. Um, I guess a lot of players who were high schoolers, at least on the pitching side said, you know, I'm committed to my school. You're going to have to pay me a lot if you're going to want me to, you know, sign and go straight to MLB. So nobody was right. able to, uh, you know, keep their asking price low enough where teams felt comfortable going in on them. So a weird draft, but one that I guess, you know, actually wasn't weird. More was just formulaic. Uh, we saw the top, you know, thirty-two picks go off the board uh, in a way that you know most people probably expected. We had the a pretty standard group of guys. So Adley uh, Rushman, mm-hmm. the the catcher who went to Baltimore, number one overall. Right. You know, we mm-hmm. I don't think number one picks get the same kind of pedigree in baseball as they do other sports. Uh, you no. know, I only think. Uh, you could probably name five players in Major League Baseball right now, Blake, who were number one picks. Uh, it's pretty crazy. tough to do because you know, either, you know they're they're always come up and they'll usually be regular players, but you know uh, they're not always necessarily you know on that fast track, kind of like NBA or NFL, where everybody you know you get labeled as that number one pick. That baseball's a little bit different uh, in that regard. So we'll see what Rushman can do. That was definitely a, a good pick for the Orioles. You know, a team that's really at the start of its rebuild and. He was considered, uh, Rushman was considered the best hitting prospect since Anthony Rendon, uh, who was drafted oh, okay. back in 2011 uh, by the Nats sixth overall. He was only dropped to sixth because he had some injury issues when he was at Rice. Uh, and the Nats mm-hmm. are no strangers to uh, picking players <laughs> with injury issues. So uh, they jumped all over him, and he's been outstanding. So if, you know, if there's comps to him, it's certainly a, a good, mm-hmm. good class to be in.
1: Right, yeah. And you know, it was interesting you said that I pulled it up to see kind of the the number one overall picks that I kind of could at least name. And so, you know, the most recent was Dansby Swanson in 2015, uh, but he was actually drafted by the Diamondbacks. Yeah, um, traded for Shelby got, Miller. Right. And then 2012, Carlos Correa, 2011, Garrett Cole, and then, of course, 2010, uh, Bryce Harper. Oh, and and the year before, Steven Strasburg, too, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a there's a few ones, but you know it's it's definitely not as big as you know a a Kyler Murray in the NFL or who was last year's or Zion will be this year for number one Mm -hmm. in the NBA. So, but yeah, that's 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 an interesting thing to talk about. Just the fact that you know the number one pick, it's so much harder to project where they're going to be or how they're going to end up.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, You know, let's let's Mm -hmm. transition here and talk about uh, a seventh round pick uh in Dallas Keuchel and a third round pick and in Craig Kimbrell two players who uh have been in the majors a while 2008 MLB draft for Kimbrel, 2009 for Keuchel uh two players who were free agents this year and obviously haven't signed uh, up until this point I say this on Tuesday night hopefully they don't sign Wednesday morning and make us look dumb uh oh, yeah, to this point um they have not signed and, and a big reason that a lot of Uh, media members were speculating was the reason they were waiting this long to sign was because on the day of the draft, uh, players who received qualifying offers at the end of last season, aka Kaikul and Kimbrell, uh, no longer have the draft pick compensation attached to their contract status uh, if they're to be signed from the day of the draft forward. Now that Obviously happens because the draft <laughs> happens today and, uh, you know, teams can't give up draft picks that they've already selected. So that helps out Keichel and Kimbrel, and kind of makes them a little bit easier to sign. Uh, you don't have to give up that uh, draft pick, which, uh, you know, seemed to be a big reason a lot of teams are staying away. So, you know, Blake, what do you think as far as Keichel and Kimbrel go? You know, how who, who do you think would be interested in them right now?
1: Right. So, you know, in my eyes, first, it starts off and looking at, at Dallas Keuchel first to me and just, you know, from paying close attention to this team throughout the entire year and understanding kind of what they need. Essentially, I, I look at the Yankees as a, as a probably my favorite fit for Dallas Keuchel. Um, you know, aside from the fact that you've got Luis Severino that is hurt. You've got, you know, Paxson who's coming back in. He did four quick innings last week. You hope that he uh, stays healthy for the rest of the season, but he's also had some injury concerns before. Uh, you go deeper into that rotation, of course, uh, CC Sabathia hasn't looked good this year, you know, as much as, you know, he got to the, uh, what, uh, 3,000 strikeout, wait, what was it, 20, yeah, 3,000 strikeout club, 3, 000, yeah. he got there, he's, you know, one win away from 250, as great as that is, he is not, you know kind of been a guy that you can rely on as your fourth or fifth starter. And, of course, thankfully, the Yankees have gotten a lot out of Domingo Herman, kind of their breakout pitcher in the rotation this year, 9-1 uh, record. Um, he's been great. But the thing is, is that if you've got a couple guys that are banged up and, you know, if you've got CeCe at that fifth spot, I'd feel really comfortable bringing in Dallas Keuchel because of the fact that, you know, just if one of these guys gets hurt again, uh, maybe you could move CeCe to more of a, God, not a roll out of the bullpen, but you know, he could do that occasional like four or five innings if you have to get out a starting pitcher early. Um, to me, I just think that the Yankees make the most sense, and it seems to be, um, you know, and this is just one thing that I was uh, reading yesterday morning. Um, it seemed to be that the Yankees and the Braves uh, came out as the favorites. I know the Yankees have been doing work on him. They've they watched, um, a, it was either a simulated game or they watched, um, <laughs> A bullpen session something like that so the Yankees have definitely checked him out the Braves seem to be doing their work but to me New York makes the most sense because they're in a place where they can win Um, of course they're first in the division they've got a pretty good lead so far I mean not a heavy lead on uh, Tampa Bay but also the Red Sox and below that Um, and they're a team that's got a lot of injuries and uh, and, you know a guy that I'm not really too comfortable with is throwing him in the uh, rotation every day with CC so to me uh, Keiko makes the most sense in New York.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that he, you know, would be a healthy addition to New York. I mean, obviously, uh, right now, every, what everybody's talking about with the Yankees is when everybody comes back, what exactly, you know, is this team going to do? I mean, you add D.D. Gregorius, right. the infield mix uh, that's oh, already dude. pretty crowded. You're adding adding Judge and Stanton back into the outfield. You know, what are mm-hmm. you going to do? Move guys around? How's Clint Fraser? Clint, Clint Fraser, excuse me, uh, Luke Voigt? Uh, Geo or those guys. How are they all going to be affected? Uh, and and if you add Dallas Keuchel to this mix in the rotation, you know that's only going to make things more complicated uh, for the rotation as well. Uh, and you know you talk about Patantis, What are the roles going to be in the bullpen? I mean, this is a great problem uh, for the Yankees to have, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it tells me, you know, I think the only area where New York could possibly upgrade is the rotation right now. I mean, you know. Right. Obviously, we've have Domingo Armand and uh, Masahiro Tanaka have been very steady this year. Both, you know, outstanding. In, in with Luis Severino on the shelf, they've really stepped up and been those kind of guys at the top of the rotation that the Yankees have needed. J.A. Happ hasn't exactly lived up to standards. James Paxton uh, has already had an IL stint. Correct? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? he's, yes. he's
1: he just came back last week. Yeah,
0: right, right. And uh, and Jay Happ. Uh, hasn't really been the guy that he was for them before, uh-huh. uh, you know, when they acquired him last year. So, you know, you you have Severino coming back. You have Jordan Montgomery who's supposed to come back from Tommy John surgery later this season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's you. if you add Dallas Keuchel into that mix, that's eight arms uh, for only four postseason slots with an already deep bullpen, so you're not exactly going to be able to stash those guys into the bullpen. So I don't know if the Yankees would upgrade the rotation. I think they could look at these guys coming back in, in Severino, in Montgomery, as almost postseason additions in themselves uh, and think, yeah. oh, we don't really need to spend the kind of money that, that Keuchel is looking for. He's looking for a prorated version of what the Astros uh, offered him for the qualifying offer the 17.6 million, I think it's at right now, 17.2 maybe. I don't know. Around $17 million qualifying offer. He wants the prorated version of that for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't know if the Yankees are going to jump on that. Yes, New York can spend a lot of money, but Brian right. Cashman is a very smart GM. I'm not sure if he's going to jump into something like that when it's going to might create a problem down the line. Now depth is certainly great to have. Can't argue with that. I think mm-hmm. my team that I think would most benefit uh from adding him is the rays now you know i'm staying in the AL East oh, okay. here uh the rays obviously dealing with the injury to tyler glass no, he's out for a while charlie morton has been fantastic uh yeah, you know a 30 million offseason signing i want to say the most expensive free agent signing the rays have ever made uh I which is so, pretty yeah. pretty significant obviously they have blake snell uh you know the reigning cy young winner if you can have by the end of the season, Glass, Snell, Morton, and Keuchel in that rotation, that's a very, very deep uh, rot- rotation for the Rays in a, a division where you know nothing's going to come easy. You know the Red Sox still haven't met their potential, but they're still a threat. The Yankees, obviously, one of the best teams in baseball, if not you know the best uh, in, in some conversations. The Rays, obviously, right there in the standings, but. You know, to keep track, to keep up. I think it makes the most sense for the Rays. You know, you look at a team like the Twins that has been rumored also to be interested. The Twins already have the AL Central locked up. Uh, They're not necessarily, you know, looking to add to, you know, get that postseason run unless that really starts to be affected. So I think, you know, if Keichel does sign within the next week or two here, I don't think, I don't see the the Twins jumping on him just because, you know, if they really do, you know, somehow the Indians close the gap down the line, they can make a trade. They have a very deep farm system. Uh, you know, and, and do that farther down the line. They don't need to go in and get Keiko right now. You know, they're a team that doesn't spend very much money in general anyway. But they're not right, a team that, yeah. that in the middle of June, you know, needs to jump on that. Uh, I think they can afford to wait, whereas the Rays, you know, every win is important in that AL East. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me, uh, you know, a, a team that uses the opener for one of its, playoff, one of its uh, rotation spots, uh, if not two sometimes uh, throughout the rotation, you know, that really kind of gives them that added depth that they need. Uh, And, you know, I think it makes the Rays a very dangerous ball club.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. That rotation would be absolutely filthy. Of course, you get the glass now returning, hopefully healthy, and he would be able to come back. Um, I know I think he's expected back sometime middle of July. But my thing, I mean, we talked about with the Rays, you know, Morton became their highest paid, you know, offseason addition. Would they be willing to dole out the cash on a one year deal for uh, Keiko? What do you think about that?
0: Well, the Rays have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, and routinely have, right. um, and that's that's not to say that you know they don't have the money uh, to, mm-hmm. to pay it. I think the Rays have just kind of been out of contention for so long that you know we haven't gotcha. really been able to see them spend at what the, the ownership could really extend to. Uh, so I see the Rays, you know, if, if they look at this season, like okay, we, we've got some young guys up, or we've got a, a real contender here, we're one piece away. I can see the Rays ownership going in and making that move. Certainly, even though they haven't spent a lot of money in the past, you know, it, mm-hmm. with the way this team's been playing so far this year, this looks like a pretty good year uh, to go all in.
1: Right. So if it, okay, so if we had to, if you're going to make a final prediction, are you going to say, you know, if we're saying, you know, what would be the best fit for him? If you had, you know, you know, gun to your head, where do you think Keuchel ends up signing?
0: Ah, uh, I mean. I'm, I'm probably going to say the Rays. Uh, I think the Yankees, yeah. uh, like um, like the Twins, don't really need to, you know, go in on Keiko right now. They can afford to trade for some guys who might, you know, Madison Bumgarner's a guy who's going to be available down the stretch yeah. in a trade. Mm-hmm. I can totally see the Yankees going for him if, say, you know, uh, Severino hits, has a setback or Tanaka, you know, gets hit by the injury bug. CC isn't able to finish out the year. Something like that where, you know, you kind of realize your depth at that point. Uh, that's where the Yankees would slot in. I just don't know if it's really worth it for them uh, to go right. in now, where I think the Rays are a team that, you know, it, it's just, I like the fit a lot, uh, and, and certainly Tampa Bay has the money. So, you know, I, I think right now I'd go with the Rays. I think the only other team that might make sense uh, is the Astros, you know, Keikel's former team. But Mm -hmm. they were pretty far apart on asking price, so I'm not sure exactly if, uh, you know, they're going to want to close that gap there. But, you know, you never know. I I think right now if you're the Astros, you're more concerned uh, about the offense uh, and how you're losing George Springer's out, Jose Otuve's out, Carlos Correa is also out. I mean, you know, those are three of your four best players on the team, uh, you know, on on the position player side. So, uh, you know, maybe you go for some depth there. But as far as the rotation goes, I mean, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, you know, they're controlling the top of the rotation. They've had pretty solid guys underneath them. I don't think the Astros are, you know, I think they're content with the the roster that they have right now.
1: Mm -hmm. One last team I'm going to throw in because this was the second one I was thinking of, and I I don't know how realistic it would be, but just from like looking around, I I looked at the Cardinals just because I think that's an extremely competitive division. Um, What they're right in the middle. I think they are three games behind Milwaukee and just a couple games and only what, like four, games ahead of last place. Um, and you know, uh, aside from, um, how do you say his na- last name? Miles Mikolas? Did I Mikolas, say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mikolas. Okay. Yeah. So he hasn't been as great as he was last year. Um, and Michael Waka has also, you know, not had a great, <clears throat> a, a great season as well. They have a 4.22 ERA, uh, which, I believe is just around average right now. I think that that could be another team that maybe if they find themselves later on in the season as they believe that they can either, uh, you know, trump Milwaukee to get that division or, you know, contend for a wild card spot, they could potentially look for him uh, to fill in a, a role in that rotation.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely fits. Uh, you know, Adam Wainwright just had a, a crazy game. He went eight innings allowed, I think it was a couple days ago, I think it was two hits, but he had seven walks. Uh, walks have been, uh, really a problem for him this year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a whip of 1.372 on the season. Uh, I think Jack Flaherty has been good. Mikolas has been, has been nice. Michael Walker has been absolutely disappointing. Uh, for right. them. And D- Dakota Hudson hasn't exactly been inspiring either. So yeah, you know, I could definitely see the Cardinals as a fit. Uh, they're right in the thick of things as well. Um, and they're pretty solid payroll wise, um, you know, they're not anywhere near the luxury tax or anything like that. So uh, certainly I could see the the Cardinals being a team. Haven't heard a whole lot on that front, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Um, that was but, my only
1: thing is that that was my thing is that I just hadn't seen anything. So I feel like that wouldn't be as likely. I feel like we would have heard something by now.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it definitely there is a fit. Uh, I'm just not mm-hmm. sure of what the Cardinals willingness to spend is. Haven't done right. a, a lot of research on that. But uh, you know, yeah. John Mozeliak, team president, has shown a willingness to, to go all in on playoff runs in the past, you know, a couple, mm. couple of World Series trips uh, for the Cardinals. So, you know, you never know. Uh, that, that would actually be a very intriguing fit. I'd be interested to see, you know, the NL Central so tight right now, uh, you know, and a team like the Cardinals who have been struggling a little bit lately while the Brewers and Cubs are surging. You know, that's not exactly uh, where you want to be. They are two games over 500, so they're certainly right in the thick of things right now. I could definitely see the Cardinals uh, making that extra push, especially with a disgruntled fan base. I mean, you know, St. Louis is a perennial contender and hasn't been in the playoffs in, I think, three years now. So uh, I could see, you know, them making a little bit extra push, too. Right. All right. How about Kimbrell? I'm going to go ahead and, and kick us off here. Uh, As far as the future Hall of Famer, Craig Kimbrell, goes, uh, the all-time leader in ERA, uh, a career ERA of 1.91, yet here he is, unsigned, Uh, a travesty, in my opinion, not being able to see Craig Kimbrell on the mound uh, as a baseball fan. But uh, my team that I think will make the move for him is the Phillies. Uh, As much as it pains me to say Mm -hmm. it, uh, the Phillies right now are dealing with... A bunch of injuries uh, in their bullpen: Adam Morgan, Pat Neshek, David Robertson, Idris Ramos, all on the aisle right now. All of whom were on the opening day roster uh, for the Phillies. It Hasn't been the start uh, that necessarily they were looking for. They're certainly, you know, in first place, 33 and 27. Can't complain, but the bullpen has been an issue time and time again. Uh, you know, they have Hector Neris as the, the team's save leader right now. He's a 2.25 ERA. Um, pretty good whip, you know, hasn't really been the problem in the ninth inning. Uh, but everybody ahead of that has pretty much been uh, a problem other than maybe Adam Morgan. But, of course, he's hurt. Uh, so I think the depth is important there. You, you take a guy like naris you can put him in the eighth inning, and that kind of gives everybody uh, a little bit easier of roles uh, if you throw Kimbrell in there. And, I mean, the Phillies, of all teams, I mean, they have so much space right now to spend. Uh, you know, this is a, a team that can afford to pay like a top five uh, team in the, in the league. And I think it's eighth right now. Uh, if, uh, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure on where they are, uh, payroll wise, but they're certainly not uh, anywhere near the top. And, you know, this is an ownership group that has spent a lot of money in the past on big free agent deals, big, uh, re-signing deals. You guys like Ryan Howard Cliff Lee come to mind. Um, you know, this is a I think this is a move that they can make. Uh, you know, obviously losing Andrew McCutcheon today. news just came out that he had a torn ACL, that's big for them. Uh Oduba oh, yeah, Herrera Oduba Herrera uh, is out indefinitely right now with a domestic violence dispute. Uh, so, you know, they're already, there's players dropping like flies right now and they're, they're uh, just added Jay Bruce in a trade. So it shows that they're still willing to, to go in as buyers to this deadline right now that made that first in season trade of the year, uh, getting Jay Bruce to play in the outfield, which with the Cutchin injury proves to be huge now. Uh, although Jay Bruce has been a, a very much true outcomes hitter. I think he has more home runs than singles this year, or it's something really close Uh, so he hasn't, you know, he's kind of regressed in the contact department while going up in the power a little bit, uh, so I think that the Phillies overall have shown that willingness to, to go in on this season. Uh, they're they're waiting around waiting for Bryce Harper to come around. They feel, figure uh, that the pitching rotation uh, is better than the numbers have suggested. You know, obviously Jake Arrieta hovering around a four zero ERA, Aaron Nola at four six three, Eckhoff, Velasquez, Pivetta all have been pretty disappointing this year. Uh, so you know I think they're they're a team that is winning despite themselves. Uh, which is, you know, to say in a division in the NL East that really hasn't been as competitive as we thought it would be, this is where they are right now in the division. The Nats playing well. The Braves uh, still remain a threat after winning the NL East last year. You know, this is a chance for the Phillies to pull away. Why not get Kimbrell uh, and and pad that lead while the team is at least, uh, you know, has a a bit of a buffer in the NL
1: East? Mm -hmm. And, And yeah, that was actually one of the things I was going to ask you with this discussion is, is if there was going to be a team in that NL East that that would use him or try and get him to kind of separate from the rest of the pack, you think that addition uh, would certainly help to do so. I know, was it at the beginning of the year that the Nats were rumored around Kimbrel? Was that yeah. was that before the season began?
0: That, that was before the season. Nats spoke with Kimbrel officials, and apparently the Nats front office was, uh, quote, on its knees begging, end quote, oh, to wow. uh, ownership to allow them to sign him. But ownership said, uh, we want to stay under the luxury tax. Uh, and I think that, that mantra still holds. I, I don't know if I see the Nats for two reasons. One, I don't think they want to go over the luxury tax. And signing Kimbrel, would, uh, if it wouldn't go over, it would put them very close. And with the, all the incentives that they have in uh, a lot of their deals, uh, the Nats would easily go over um, you know, that luxury tax by the end of the year because of those incentives uh and plus i mean you know the team obviously has played well recently if not today uh, unfortunately but uh they're still you know 6 7 games under 500 uh, very far back in the division very far back in the wild card race you know the nats bullpen has certainly been the biggest issue but do you really want to go in on kimbrel right now and what's likely going to be uh, at least a three year deal and you know still and, and then fall out of the race, and you know having a, a mm-hmm. closer like Kimbrel becomes a moot point. Now, you know what that would do would give you the flexibility to maybe trade Sean Doolittle because he's on a, such a cheap yeah. deal. He would give you back mm-hmm. good prospects, you know, and you would still have Kimbrel moving forward. But that's a whole other scenario. I don't know if the Nats. I think it starts and ends with the, the luxury tax. Can't see the Nats going over it. And then the Braves. The Braves are uh, a team that's really stick to their budget. Uh, when when they make trades in season, they're not picking up Albatross contracts, and you know I don't think that they're gonna as much as a lot of people would might like to see kimberl go back to his old team and how much of a fit he would be in that that roster that already lost its closer for the year uh, and has plenty had plenty of bullpen issues as well. Uh, I just can't see Braves ownership you know allowing this kind of deal to be made. Uh, this late into the season, the budget's already been set. We saw how inactive the Braves were uh, throughout the offseason. And that was a big story coming into the year was, you know, the Braves won the division, but they didn't really do much over the winter. You know, can the roster just hold how it was, you know, with a tougher NL East now? And it's kind of shown, no, it can't. It's a little far back in the division. Uh, certainly competing with the Phillies, but hasn't, you know, ob- obviously run away with things like Braves officials probably hope that they did. They did sign Josh Donaldson to a decently sized contract. I want to say 23 million for this year. Um, but I don't I don't know if I can see Kimbrell uh, going to the Braves just because, you know, they're such sticklers for money. And, you know, as much as Kimbrell might help, you know, the bottom line is the most important thing there uh, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, well, just as you, so you picked the Phillies out of the uh, NL East, and just as I picked a team that I think isn't afraid to go out there and spend its money to go over the luxury tax, I'm going with another team that's already got a huge payroll. They opened the season right around that $206 million threshold. Um, to me, and maybe this is me just wanting to see it partly just to see what this team would look like, and also I think that players want us want to go to markets to win especially a guy like kimbrell that had his success with boston you know the world series championship last year to look at a team i think i could see him going where not where his former teammate also went and kind of hasn't really panned out well there i'm gonna go with the los angeles dodgers um and so to me the dodgers of course they have kenley jansen um you know they already have a solid uh guy there but you know he's what he's right now oh i just had his numbers up right now he's at a 3.16 era which is a career high uh he has uh 25 appearances 18 saves of course he's still an extremely good uh closer Um, but when you look at the rest of their bullpen to me just from what i've seen uh, Joe Kelly, who they brought in, of course, has a 7.91 ERA in just under 20 innings. Uh, setup man, Pedro Baez, uh, is striking out fewer batters at a, at a lower rate. And the relief, uh, group itself has a 4.79 ERA and its strikeout rate of 22.2% is among the bottom fourth, I believe of the league. So not to say that, that the Dodgers are going to will, are going to be willing to spend you know boatloads to get Kim- Kimbrell but I think if if Kimbrell is looking around at the teams that are going to offer him and if he wants to go to the best destination that will also be willing to probably pay him close to what he might be looking for I think that the Dodgers make some sense for the Dodgers just to get another arm in that bullpen because they have had a couple guys that are struggling or not up to par as we've come to know over the last uh, few years for them I think if they're looking for what will get them over that hump to send them back to the World Series and possibly come out with a win I think Kimbrell uh, would be a really nice fit there.
0: Yeah, uh, you know the the Braves. I mean, the Dodgers. Sorry, are in my opinion the best team in baseball right now. Um, you know, we talked about the Yankees before. I think the Astros and Twins are in that conversation too. But I mean, you know, you look at the rotation in in Los Angeles, so deep. Uh, I want to. I was hearing a stat earlier that in their past uh, something games, they're fifteen and one. I think it's in their last. Twenty something starts. Their fit, starters are fifteen and one with a ERA under two. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. absolutely in standing. Hinjin Ryu is early candidate for uh, Cy Young. Yeah, Walker Bueller went. Great. Walker Bueller went eight innings last night. Kent Mayeta Mayetta has been a nice surprise. Clayton Kershaw is still Clayton Kershaw, and Rich Hill, although hasn't had a whole lot of starts, only seven on the year, has been very effective. So uh, you know, you look at that rotation; it's set. You don't need to do anything with any of those guys. Uh, even if one goes down, you're only going to use four for the playoffs anyway. So, you know, I don't think the rotation is a big issue there. The offense ranks second in in majors in runs scored, second in the National League in home runs, has the uh, early um, MVP candidate in Cody Bellinger, the early Rookie of the Year candidate, Alex Verdugo, Jock Peterson, a a candidate for bounce-back player of the year. I mean, the the Braves—I mean, the Dodgers could sweep—I keep calling the Braves— The Dodgers could sweep uh, the the NL awards um, with how well they've been, you know, the Cy Young, the MVP, and the Rookie of the Year. I could totally see the Dodgers getting all three of those, which I want to say has only ever happened once. Uh, I think I heard that a couple weeks ago. So, you know, up and down that lineup is pretty deep. Uh, You don't see any major holes, maybe at second base, uh, where Enrique Hernandez and Chris Taylor have shared time. Um, neither has really been impressive, but that really is the only hole in their lineup. AJ Pollock coming back from injury. It's going to be tough for, to get him playing time, uh, considering mm-hmm. Dugo has been playing so well and Jock Peterson has been playing so well and Cody Bellinger is Cody Bellinger. Uh, you know, you don't really have a whole lot of options there, so they're going to, they're going to be fine in both the, the pitching rotation, uh, and the, um, offense. I think it really is the bullpen, uh, where they could afford to improve. They haven't been bad, certainly. Uh, no, but like he- you mentioned, you know, there, there's certainly, uh, you know, up and down who wouldn't improve uh, with Craig Kimbrell and who closed out the world series against them last year. Uh, who mm. it was it was Craig Kimbrell? Well, obviously it was um, Chris Sale at the end, but um, you know, Craig Kimbrell was instrumental uh, for that playoff run uh, in, in Boston and, you know, they could take a page out of Boston's book. I mean, you know, the Dodgers have been in the world series in back to back years, and obviously falling short. This team, which has been playing like the best in baseball right now, looks like it has the makings to make another deep run. Why not You know, get an extra guy in there? The Dodgers certainly are willing to spend. I like the fit. Uh, I like it a lot. I think this the only thing is is you're not going to take Kenley Jansen down from that closer job. Does Kimbrell right. want to accept a setup man job? And that's where yeah. uh, you might have an issue. Kimbrell obviously uh, looking to be one of the best closers of all time um and i don't you know he he racks up 30 40 50 saves every year you know he wants to mm-hmm. climb those leaderboards in terms of saves uh and he's not going to be able to do that in los angeles and i think that might be where an issue does kimbrel want to go there uh you know i don't know uh if that's if that's not important to him at 31 years old then so be it but you know he's got a lot left in the tank you would think as a reliever um you mm-hmm. know not too much mileage on his arm where you know only 530 innings Uh, You know, you look at starting pitchers and how many innings they rack up. I mean, that's nothing uh, compared to that. So, you know, I'm not sure. You know, maybe that's important to Kimbrell. Maybe it's not. But as far as if I were to make a guess, I would say that he does not go to Los Angeles because he wants to climb up that save leaderboard.
1: Right. Yeah. As soon as you were saying that, it kind of hit me that that's kind of like the big thing that would keep him out of there because you, you can't take either of them really out of that closing role. (laughs) so maybe he does lean toward a team like um uh, like you were saying like the phillies now a team that i remember hearing about Kimbrell in the beginning of the year uh was the brewers now do you think that the interest i mean of course because Corey neville uh missing the entire season and of course you know we it's a they've got a guy like josh Hader, of course who is an absolute phenom uh is that still a fit here now that we're here in June, or is that something that kind of the, the need has died down since we thought it was going to be one at the beginning of the year? I mean,
0: yeah, look, I mean, losing your closer is obviously going to hurt, uh, not a position you want to be in. And I think, you know, the way that the, the Braves have operated, they like Hater in that hybrid Andrew Miller type role. Uh, where he's right. not necessarily their ninth-inning guy, but more somebody they can use if the 3-4 hitters, 3 4, hitters, come, three, four five hitters are coming up in the seventh inning. You know, you use him there mm-hmm. in the eighth inning, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and, and then you have another guy uh, who can be your closer. You know, they have had Junior Guerra uh, close a few games this year, uh, a former starter. He's been pretty effective, um, but he's not really, <clears throat> excuse me, the proven kind of guy that you'd want. I think Kimbrell would make a lot of sense, um, you know, the – the Brewers haven't necessarily gotten off to the extended uh, start that they wanted to, I think, right now in division. Where are they? It's in the NL Central. Uh, with the Cubs, they are a game ahead of the Cubs, so not pulling away necessarily uh, like they wanted to. Only a plus 18 run differential. Uh, you know They had a, a bit of a rough early start, kind of, kind of rebounded and are playing much better baseball now, uh, especially good at home. So, I, yeah, I, I could see Kimbrel fitting in there well. Um, you know, they, they have the payroll flexibility to make that move. I just do think there are plenty of holes, uh, on this team, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we might see them, you know, make another move. Jesus Aguilar at first base, uh, really hasn't been all that. Eric Thames has been pretty good, but, uh, you know, they were supposed to split a lot of time. He hasn't been the guy that they thought he would be. Um, Lorenzo Kane not exactly hitting. I don't think they're going to move him out of center field with how good he is, uh, running around center. Orlando Arcea at shortstop. Uh, another guy who, you know, he's a light hitter anyway, never really been a guy who's put a lot of contact. So I could see them focusing a bit more on the rotation. Uh, I mean, sorry, the, the starting lineup, than the bullpen, um, because they have a, a few names, you know, Jerry Jeff, Jeremy Jefferson there, Matt Albers, uh, Chase Anderson, all guys who've been effective, um, in relief roles before. So I, I like I like it. I think that it would be a lot of fun to see Kimbrell uh, in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's a team I love rooting for. They just got so many scrappy guys that, you know, I, I just can't wait to see play uh, on the big stage. I loved watching them in the playoffs last year. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. Kimbrell, you know, sliding in there in that closer role would be awesome. I mean, you know, that that's their that's the way they've, they've operated in the bullpen before, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them try and get back to that uh, with a more defined closer.
1: Right, so that still remains a fit for them, and and of course, you know, as we're sitting here, neither of them have signed, so it'll be interesting to see the follow up from this, and if we've nailed any of these correctly. Uh, but yeah, is there any other teams? Anything else you wanted to mention on on either of these two uh, pitchers before we switch topics? Uh,
0: no, I, I think we've we've hit it all. I, I'm gonna stick with my Phillies and uh, Ray's predictions. So we'll see who's right and revisit that uh, once. Once uh, they do may finally sign. Who, uh, who do you think right. signs first? Who do you think signs first?
1: Ooh, I'm going to go with... I feel like I've been hearing more buzz around Dallas Keuchel. So I'm going to go with Keuchel signs first. I feel like maybe just because I've been hearing the stuff with the Yankees and how they've been visiting, maybe that's why I've heard more recently. But I'm going to say Keuchel first, and then maybe a couple weeks later we'll get Kimbrel.
0: All right, well... That's it for Baseball Talk. Geez, 35 minutes uh, on MLB oh, yeah. today. hope healthy. you all are some
1: baseball fans. <laughs> yeah, healthy discussion <laughs> right there. To, to sit through that. <laughs> we
0: should really start putting down the uh, the numbers of like when people uh, can like tune in to certain topics. I feel like I see that everywhere, and we're way too lazy uh, to do that. But uh, probably would mm-hmm. help out some people who don't want to sit through 35 minutes of Dallas Keigel and Craig Kimbrell talks.
1: Yeah, probably, probably.
0: All right, well, let's talk some NBA Finals, Blake. Uh, We got Game 3 coming up um, for our listeners tonight, for us tomorrow. Um, In a 1-1 series, we saw the Raptors take Game 1. Siakam was incredible. uh, Of course, Kawhi Leonard uh, went off in Game 2. Then we have the Warriors come back, uh, lose Klay Thompson and Kevon Looney. Uh, Big losses for them. Durant not expect to be back for Game (coughs) 3. Excuse me, sorry. And uh, of course, we're not sure about Clay yet. Uh, he's questionable, seemed uh, optimistic last time he spoke with the media about whether or not he'd play. Um, but obviously, no Durant, no Looney, that's big uh, for the Warriors as they go back to Oakland uh, to host the next two games of the series. Where do you have uh, the panic factor for the Warriors right now? You know, If you had to go 1 through 10, Blake, where, where exactly would you put the Warriors in terms of? being afraid of losing this ser- this series.
1: Uh, I'm gonna actually go pretty low. I think that the panic is more now on the Raptors after they weren't able to secure uh, that game too, especially after having a lead through uh, you know the first half and middle of the third qu- uh, third quarter as well. I think the panic now sits in Toronto just because they had him, They could have gotten that 2-0 lead. So no matter what, you would come back to Toronto. It The very worst with the series tied. If not, maybe you have a 3-1 lead and can close it out at home. But to me, you know, the injuries are um, crucial. Of course, Kevon Looney, we definitely won't be getting him back for the rest of the season. And hopefully he'll uh, have a speedy recovery and... Klay Thompson, from what it seems like you said, very positive that he's going to play. He's not going to try and miss any time. If he did, then I would have a lot more panic just because defensively, um, you know, you know, whether it's Van Vliet or Lowry, Danny Green, Klay Thompson needs to be guarding one of those guys because as we know throughout, um, just, you know, looking at his frame, Steph Curry is kind of a defensive liability. And then if he has to guard your top uh, perimeter guys, that that's, you know, a huge downgrade from Klay Thompson being able to step up on them. Um, you know, to me, you know, game two, I I give a lot of credit to Golden State because that, you know, what they've always been good about, about, um, throughout the course of just this incredible run that they've been on is, is just adjustments in series. Of course they lose game one and it looks bad, but then they come out in game two and Defensively, Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green—the work that they did on Kawhi Leonard and Pascal uh, Siakam—was tremendous. They got real huge contributions from DeMarcus Cousins. His role in Game Two uh, was amazing. It's great to see him. You know, through his entire career, he's definitely been one of the more talented big men in all of basketball. But he just hasn't been on the right team. And of course, everyone got really upset um, when he signed with Golden State because, of course, the rich keep getting richer. But to see him on the NBA final stage and have a big game, you know, a huge role, uh, in game two, that was really big to see. Um, and so hopefully, you know, he can fill in that role. Of course, now with Kevon Looney out, you need you know, more depth up front and he'll be able to provide that. Hopefully as he gets more minutes, it seems like he's on track for more opportunities to play. Um, panic's not too high for me on on golden state. I'm kind of worried for the Raptors just because you know now, Go- now Golden State can take uh, you know a three one lead if they win these two at home. They're great at home. You know they're you know as much as we like to talk about them as a great third quarter team. Uh, they're they're amazing in Oracle. Um, being able to pull that series to within even before coming home, I think, is a huge uh, jump start for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, coming into this series, I thought the Warriors, even without Kevin Durant, are just playing such good basketball right now. The Toronto, the Raptors had to grind through a couple of deep series to get uh, where they are. You know, the Warriors obviously playing uh, just as good as they have been throughout this dynasty. I thought that they were going to roll over the Raptors. You know, I, I think I predicted Warriors in five or Warriors in six, something like that. Um, you know, I didn't think I wasn't sure if the Raptors would put up necessarily a fight. Then game one happened. Uh, obviously on the home court, which is huge, <coughs> man, cough is rough tonight. Um, but with these injuries to golden state and, and the way I saw Toronto play in game one, I think, you know, this is, this is definitely makes an opening. Now, obviously the Raptors going to have to win on the road. And that is, uh, like you said, a tall task at Oracle, uh, something the Warriors, uh, are 27 and 14, uh, on the road this year. What does that put them? That's 30 and nine at home. Um, which that can't be right 30 and 11 at home um, uh, this season which you know is an outstanding uh, home record so the raptors uh, you know i think the, the the big x factor here is Marcus Sa uh, when they yeah. when the raptors mm-hmm. uh, get him into double figures uh, this postseason they're five and one. Um, he's just kind of been really hit or miss for them, plays, you know, at least 30 minutes a game. And, you know, sometimes will turn up and and score 20 points like he did in game one. And sometimes, you know, he'll have a dud and just drop six with, you know, five rebounds. It's a pretty uh, rough game. So, you know, he was bad in game two. Uh, Obviously, the absence of Looney is going to open up some doors for him. Now, you know, him versus Boogie, uh, what does that really do to that dynamic there? I don't know. Um, but I'm interested to see how it plays out. And I think, you know, if, if, Gasol can get going and they can, you know, have a little bit more leverage down in the paint, uh, that's certainly going to help expand the floor, uh, for a good shooting team in Toronto.
1: Yeah. I, I, the biggest thing, you know, as much as we like to talk about how amazing, uh, Kawhi Leonard is defensively and how great, uh, Danny Green is defensively. Also, you know, that three and D prototype, uh, just the, the amount of, of focus and energy that. Iggy and Draymond put in defensively. I know I talked about this earlier, but that's such a huge factor because of course, Golden State has the flash with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, all of these guys that can shoot. We also got to give a lot of credit to Quinn Cook uh, for, for shooting, I guess really up until the the end parts of, of the fourth quarter um, in game two, but he was another guy that came off the bench and had a really, uh, he had a couple huge threes to, to keep that game going along for Golden State. So we talk about their offense all the time, but defensively, Uh, The combination of those two guys, I think I saw uh, when those two guys are guarding Kawhi Leonard, they've held him on a per 100 uh, possession basis to the fewest amount of points. Um, They were one and two, three was uh, Giannis. Um, So when Iggy and Draymond are guarding Kawhi, I believe he scores 25 or 26 points per 100 possessions. And then with Giannis, you know, as great as we consider him, he was even third and he was down at 29 points per 100 possessions. So those two um, have done a really nice job on stopping Kawhi. I think Steve Kerr, I feel like a lot of people don't give Steve Kerr a ton of credit because he inherited a a team with so many good stars. But it's a series like this when you watch the adjustments, you know, they lose one quick game and they rebound the way that they did. And they change things up defensively. Uh, Steve Kerr, to me, is just a really smart basketball mind. And I feel like he's going to, you know, as long as he wants to coach, because I know as short as his coaching career has been, we've talked about the back problems he's had. He had to miss extended time. Um, So as long as he wants to coach, I think no matter who's in Golden State, I think he'll make that a a successful franchise um, if we even extend it beyond this current (coughs) dynasty, but Uh, you know, going into Oracle for games three and four defensive intensity, hopefully you get Kevin Durant back by game four, because of course that would just make things easier for Golden State. Um, I, I still, you think this is Golden State series. I think it still maybe goes to a, a six or seven. I would probably err on six, especially since Toronto wasn't able to get that two, uh, game lead. But, uh, I think this is still comfortably in Golden State's hands, but they do have to watch themselves just in case. Like you were saying, if, if Gasol really takes advantage of maybe the DeMarcus Cousins matchup, uh, maybe, you know, Kawhi or maybe Clay misses game three and then the guards are able to get things going. Uh, game three is going to be a pivotal one. I know, uh, you know, every game is huge at this stage, but where they're at uh, game three, one a piece at home. They definitely need to make sure that they secure that game if you're Golden State or Toronto.
0: I think the most fun thing to watch uh, in this series so far has just been Steph Curry. I mean, you know, I think Mm -hmm. uh, unfairly one of the biggest knocks on him in his career has been that he doesn't have a finals MVP uh, to his name. Yet, despite the fact that he's a six-time all NBA player, two-time MVP, a scoring champ, you know, three-time NBA champion, you know, whatever, you know, you want to say, nothing but good things to say about Steph Curry. But that's something that, you know, a lot of greats have that he hasn't had. Uh, And with all the the Warriors, you know, opportunities uh, to to make runs at the finals, the fact that he's never come away with one has certainly been, I wouldn't call it a stain, but, you know, a topic of conversation around him. But, I mean, if the Warriors win this series the way he's playing right now, you've got to give it to him, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And and he did start off a little cold in game two. Um, You know, you would think – if uh, if things continue the way that they are, Steph, of course, got hot in that and closed out that game. I, I would hope so, and, and it's funny because we, like you said, for all his accolades, we still say the one thing he doesn't have is a Finals MVP. He's also had, you know, Kevin Durant the last two years and Iggy, of course, the way he defended LeBron. That, that MVP was essentially because uh, LeBron was so good and he was the guy who defended him. Um, you know, unless this becomes a thing where someone like... Uh, someone like Draymond or Iggy just shut down Kawhi Leonard and and just ruin kind of his impact on the game and you maybe give them an award like you gave Iggy three years ago, I think this should be in the hands of Steph Curry finally getting his first MVP.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'd have to see something, you know, Boogie, you know, had a great game, but wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, racking up the points, uh, you know, barely gotten double digits and rebounds. Uh, When it comes down to Finals MVP, you know, a clutch shot can be important, and obviously we we can't really, you know, come to guess who would make a shot like that later down the line. A good bet would be Curry, um, but his numbers certainly put him, you know, in a a good spot uh, to to secure that Finals MVP, which, you know, good for him. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is my thing with the Warriors. You know, obviously it's a team that's kind of broken the NBA. Uh, and made them, you know, uh, the, the common enemy. Uh, a lot of people hate them because, you know, their, their clubs or their teams are, you know, not competing because they just see no chance uh, in them, you know, possibly getting into the NBA finals. Uh, especially in the West where you just see so many, you know, top tier teams uh, just get knocked out year after year despite the fact that the, the West is, is easily considered the better of the two conferences. Uh, the Warriors have just really run the table there, uh, and it's disheartening as a fan, certainly. But, you know, individually, I like the Warriors. I mean, you know, who doesn't love watching Steph Curry, uh, the greatest three-point shooter of all time? Uh, mm-hmm. No cap there for you, Blake. Um, the greatest no three-point cap. shooter. No cap. No
1: cap. <laughs> but,
0: you know, who doesn't love watching him play? Uh, he's, he's just a thrill to watch. He's electric. Uh, I mean, his... his uh, one of his nicknames is the Human Torch. I mean, that in itself just shows what <laughs> kind of player he is. Um, you know, and and it's not just Curry. I mean, I, I like watching Durant. Uh, you know, Boogie Cousins has been fun. Clay and Draymond obviously have been on that team for a while. The kind of the heart and soul players um, that make up the Warriors' identity—they're uh, all fun to watch. And as much as it might you know suck for a lot of fan bases not to see their players do well uh, or their teams do well and, and give up in the in the current state of affairs here in the NBA. Uh, it's still, you know, the product is not bad, uh, when the Warriors are on the court.
1: No, certainly not. And so how long do you think, I I think this ends up probably six games. Do you think they'd be able to close it out in five or or do you think it goes longer to like, I'm going to go with six. Uh,
0: you know, even if the, the Warriors win these next two games, it's going to go back to Toronto, in which case they'd be down, uh, the Raptors would be down three, one backs against the wall. Uh, you know Kawhi Leonard, a, a finals MVP in his own right. I think you know he gets that win at home uh, and then they go back to Oracle in game six and then the Warriors close the
1: deal. Cool. All right, so we agree on that and and as for much as we talked about baseball, we did cut that down to I believe 13, 14 minutes for your nice. NBA conversation. So cool. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're keeping things a little bit shorter but yeah
0: we do it for you listeners.
1: Exactly everything for the listeners. All right, uh, we want to talk so, some football. Yeah, let's get some football before we close things out. And, uh, you know, as we, I feel like we've said on every episode, it's kind of that downtime in football right now. Of course, we've got the veteran mini camps, um, some news coming out. Gerald McCoy, of course, signed with the Panthers. We're not going there. Uh, we're going to talk about two young quarterbacks that are entering uh, their final year of their fifth year. They've got their uh, final year of their rookie contracts and they are eligible for some big time max contracts and we're not talking about Carson Wentz Uh, we're going to focus specifically on Jared Goff of the Los Angeles Rams and Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys now Jerry Jones has come out and publicly said that I think he even said or it came out reports were that the Cowboys would be Totally comfortable paying him 30 million a year. Jared Goff would probably also be looking for something in that range. Uh both have had success on the field in terms of uh team success. Of course, the Rams were in the Super Bowl last year. The Cowboys uh have made the playoffs twice, I believe, in the, in their run uh under Dak Prescott. Uh Matt. When you look at quarterbacks like these, and I know they have some personal knocks against maybe their play or their capabilities, but when you look at them and the success that they've had with their teams early on in their careers, do you think it warrants being able to hand out big-time extensions like uh, they're rumored to be looking for?
0: Well, uh, you know, both Goff and Prescott have shown to be above average starting quarterbacks in the NFL, Goff more so than Prescott. Uh, who really stepped up last year, Goff did, and, you know, had an outstanding season, was uh, not all pro, but a pro bowler, Um, you know, had, had, but the thing was with him was that he was just a system quarterback, Uh, and I say just a system quarterback as lightly as I can because Goff still has plenty of talent, a former number one overall pick, but, uh, you know, I I think that the Rams system isn't dependent on Goff, uh, and I think that the Cowboys system isn't dependent on Prescott, to the point where you could afford to let these guys go, pick up new quarterbacks in the draft, uh, and, and build around them as cheap, younger players. I don't know mm. if they're going to do it, um, but I think they should. The, the Rams just took uh, picked up the fifth-year option on Jared Goff's contract. They're going to be paying him $22.7 million next year uh, in what will be the final year of his deal. Prescott, a free agent after this season. Um, I don't know. if uh, I think the Cowboys... <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. Are going to get this worked out before the start of the season, if I had to guess, uh, hmm. in terms of of working out a Dak Prescott deal. But I think it's an intriguing option. You know, you look at look at the Cowboys' state of affairs right now and, and who they're going to have to to extend. I mean, you know, two guys that that pop out to me are Ezekiel Elliott uh, and. Uh, Van Vander Esch, the, the middle linebacker on the other side, Vander Esch obviously was a rookie last year. He's still got some time. Um, but you, know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, a, a, cor- a running back who has been one of the best running backs in the NFL since he entered the league. There's no question about that. He obviously had that domestic violence dispute. Uh, that kept him suspended for a little bit. But when he has been on the field, uh, he has been an outstanding running back and a player that uh, is beloved by fans. And, you know, I think the the Cowboys would be remiss in the sign, right? But, you know, running back is a position where you, you try not to pay premium uh, salaries to running backs because uh, it's a position that's considered a diamond dozen position um, where you can, uh, you know, get a little bit worse production for a lot cheaper of the money. Uh, and, and gives you the money to, to use that elsewhere. Same goes for middle, middle linebacker or Van Der Esch place. Uh you know, if he, you know, starts demanding an extension uh in two, three years, you know, that will coincide with what would be a, a long term deal for Prescott. Um couple that then with Ezekiel Elliott and that leaves you, you know, paying a lot of money to three positions, with two of those positions being, you know, positions where you could get players at a much cheaper price. Now, I haven't heard anything on the Van Der Esch extension trail, but I know Ezekiel Elliott is something that the Cowboys are very much interested in. And if they are going to pay a premium price, a position where you do get players uh, for a much cheaper price, then it makes a lot of sense that you have to take another position uh, where you normally would pay a lot of money and pay less. And I think quarterback is one that you could do that, where you could afford to sign Ezekiel Elliott to a massive uh, Le'Veon Bell type extension uh, if You know, you aren't paying a whole lot of money to your quarterback. I mean, you look at the Jets building around uh, McCown right now. You know, they were able to give that money to Le'Veon Bell because they have a quarterback uh, who's being paid, you know, first-round money. um, But that's nothing compared to what, you know, $30 million a year that Prescott's going to be looking for. I say let Prescott go. Uh, And same with Mm. the Rams. I mean, the Rams obviously have Todd Gurley locked up already. Uh, they've got a couple of big deals. Brandon Cooks is another player signed uh, to some long-term long-term deals. On the other side of the ball, you got Aaron Donald. They're all locked up. You only add Jared Goff to that mix. It's just going to make it harder uh, to to build a team. You know, I, I think it's harder for the Rams to give up on Goff uh, just because he was so good last year. But you know, if if anyone can can pluck a quarterback out of the first round and make him viable, you know, it's it, it's John uh, McVeigh. And I think if, if Goff mm. gets hurt and we get to see Blake Bortles in there, which I'm really hoping happens this year, not that, oh. <laughs> that I want not that I want Jared Goff to get hurt in any way, but I would just love to right. see Blake Bortles back on the field. Um, you know, if if Blake Bortles does well uh, in LA, I think that's gonna be a, a sign that the Rams, you know, could move on. So I, I think I think with the Cowboys, I don't see them moving on from Dak, even though I think they should, uh, especially considering some of the other uh, responsibilities they might have to other players. Uh, and then with the Rams, I see them as a team that still probably would stick with Goff. Um, but I could see them entertaining, uh, you know, going another route, uh, if they maybe like somebody in the draft, uh, in the 2021 draft, I could certainly see them doing that.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, so <coughs> I, I see both of them in my, eyes. I think both, uh, teams do end up giving these guys long-term deals and probably in the price range that they're looking for, but where I disagree, uh, well, I guess where our tastes just differ is I'm actually more comfortable with giving Dak the extension than I am Jared Goff. Really? And I, yeah, there's there's two big reasons why that I, I I kind of value Dak Prescott's ability over Jared Goff's, and of course, Goff was the number one overall pick. Everyone thought that you know he was going to be you know the far and away you know quarterback of this class. Uh, but my reason that I I'm fine with Dak, um, is because first reason. I think that we look at his first few years and we look at the numbers what they are in the first uh in the first couple seasons, and maybe we're not too excited about it, but we also have to consider that he had never really had a number one receiver. Uh and, and so if you look at the splits this season, um in the six games before they got Amari Cooper, he was completing under 62% of his passes and had seven touchdowns to four interceptions, which was a quarterback rating of 85.5. And then you go and look at once they acquired Amari uh, Cooper, and he was able to space out the the, fi- the uh, field, and Amari Cooper opened up things for the other receivers as well. Uh, got, or excuse me, Prescott completed over seventy percent, so that's about an 8, point, uh, 8 percentage point jump. He had uh, eight more touchdowns and the same amount of interceptions in a longer span. So he had 15 touchdowns to four interceptions. His quarterback rating jumped up almost 20 points to 102.3. So I think that Dak Prescott was really just a victim for a while of not having great receiving targets. And I think Amari Cooper was a huge addition to that, just also creating space for the other receivers. Um, you know, if Cole Beasley is your top threat, that's definitely not something someone that you're excited <laughs> to have as your number one wide receiver. So that's one reason that I, I value Dak Prescott. And the second is his two-way, his, his uh, mobility, his two-way ability, his ability to run the ball as well. I think in today's age of football, having a quarterback that can also run the ball and he's kind of a safe runner too. He's not going to get himself hurt. Uh, he's, you know, played in every single game um, of his professional career. And on the ground, he has picked up uh, almost 700 yards in his first three seasons and um, so to me, really, with or sorry, I I don't know where I pulled that. His actual running stats. I was getting that from somewhere else. He actually has um, 944 rushing yards in three seasons, um, along with eighteen rush uh, eighteen rushing touchdowns. So to me, where I look at with with the Cowboys, I'm comfortable paying Dak Prescott because. Those two reasons, I think he's a much better quarterback with the team that they're presented with this upcoming season. They've got Amari Cooper coming back, Ezekiel healthy. Hopefully the offensive line is a little bit healthier too, and I like the guys that they have on defense. And then the other is because you have a guy that is, is um kind of creates a bad name for himself and has a bad image. When you've got a star like Ezekiel Elliott, you need a bigger face to overbalance that. And Dak Prescott has been a model citizen in Dallas. He has always been a guy that has been team first. He really follows kind of the owner's orders. Um, So I think that he really puts a good face on the Dallas Cowboys, even though there are so many players in that organization. As we know, the defensive line, they've had a bunch of guys face PED suspensions, uh, domestic violence. Um, Having a guy that is your franchise quarterback, that is such a good human being will help mask all the other things. And so that's why I'm okay with Dak for off the field stuff and on the field. The point you made about Jared Goff is, is dead on Uh, to me, Sean McVay has kind of made Jared Goff. And of course, Goff had the very slow start in his first year with uh, Jeff Fisher. Of course, those that Rams team all in itself was, was a much different team and it operated at a much uh, lower level. Offensively speaking Um, to me, Jared Goff is one of those guys that I think is a good quarterback. I think I'd say he's, you know, an above average quarterback. I'd probably put him around maybe the the 12 to 16 range of active quarterbacks in the league. Um, but to me, when you've got a guy like Sean McVay, um, to me, I think you can make a lot out of any quarterback in that situation, whether it is you know, like a guy, if Blake Bortles had to step in, and God forbid he has to, uh, as much as I despise the man, I, I'm I'm sure Sean McVay could make him look pretty good. I honestly do. And so, um, you know, if the Rams wanted to go about that, I think that they have more um more of a better path to because I think while golf or while Prescott makes a lot more success for his team on the field. I don't think their offensive system is enough to mask for a lower level quarterback, but I do think McVay can make a lot out of a little, Um, but the only other problem is, is that you've got two teams that are contending for the playoffs, and so you're not getting the cream of the crop of the quarterback class. You kind of have to hope you're Dallas and get lucky in the fourth round with a guy like Dak. Uh, You know, the Rams won't be at the number one pick where they could take another guy like Goff. Um... The quarterback position is extremely important, but the quarterback classes are getting a lot stronger as time goes on. We've we've found guys in later rounds, you know, like a Russell Wilson, a Dak Prescott, um, guys like that that can have huge impacts on teams and, and be really solid quarterbacks. So if they were, if either team was going to, I'd put more faith in the Rams being able to do it successfully. But I think long term, both of those teams commit to their quarterbacks, uh, and for the foreseeable future. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, I, I know I'm rambling and now just turning it into a question. I didn't even give you time <laughs> to respond. Ha ha. Um, where the average salary fits for these guys. Um, if if the reports were that Dak might be looking at $30 million a year, that would put him right at fourth highest quarterback behind Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, and Aaron Rodgers. He would be tied with Matt Ryan. Uh, and in, in quarterbacks that he'd be making more money than include Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, Andrew Luck, uh, going down the list. Of course, Tom Brady's all the way down at $20.5 million. Um, but he'd be making a, you know top five quarterback money. Uh, and if you would assume that, um, that Prescott is going to be able to get that much pay, I would say Goff would be around or in that same range. Maybe he's more toward the uh, Matthew Stafford, $27 million a year. Uh, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, the $28 million. Where would you be comfortable paying these types of quarterbacks? Because you do seem more reluctant uh, to sign them than I might be. I mean – uh,
0: the, the quarterback position is so coveted. Uh, you know, we saw what happened to Kirk Cousins when he hit free agency. I don't think anyone really thought that Kirk Cousins deserved twenty-eight million dollars a year based on the play that he had. I mean, Cousins, don't get me wrong, a great quarterback. Uh, certainly, you know, in the above average, he was coming off of four thousand yard seasons. I think it was three in a row prior to uh, coming to Minnesota. You know, those are good, good years. But you know, you look at the, the company that he's in in terms of the highest paid quarterbacks, and Cousins kind of sticks out like a sore. Or thumb in terms of, you know, lacking a lot of the accolades that those other guys have. I mean, you just look at the top five paid quarterbacks right now, Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, you know, Cousins is the only one in that group who, you know, hasn't either won an MVP or won a playoff game. Um, so, you know, uh, it was only because he hit free agency uh, and, and it became mm-hmm. a bidding war and that kind of opened it up. Uh, to other teams to kind of, you know, push that price up a little bit. If Goff does not re-sign, I mean, you know, a player of his stature, a former number one pick uh, who just had a season like he did, if he continues to play, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we'd be looking at, you know, $32 million, $33 million, uh, certainly in the 30s and certainly more than Dak Prescott's going to get just from his hometown team. Um, Now, if he does re-sign with the Rams that's a different story i think we start seeing you know something in the 26 to 28 million dollar range which still Mm -hmm. is a lot of money um but i don't think he's going to be setting any kind of records uh you know if he does re-sign with the rams i think there's potential and i think it would be in his best interest really uh to go into free agency and sign a long-term deal there because there's certainly going to be the demand for it um but you know i want to talk about that list real quick just one quick rebuttal uh to your Mm -hmm. point there talk about quarterbacks uh, in the top ten in salary right now eight of those ten quarterbacks uh, in that top ten did not make the playoffs last year which shows you yeah. how those teams around them are constructed uh, I mean you go up and down that list I mean obviously um, well actually seven sorry Russell Wilson did make well I guess Russell Wilson wasn't paid for that like that last year so um, mm-hmm. in terms of last year uh, we had eight of the top ten. Uh, not making the playoffs, which was pretty uh, pretty big. I don't know. I I think it's an intriguing yeah. idea, you know, that that teams haven't tried yet, uh, but would make a lot of waves and would be a kind of a trailblazing thing. And I think the Rams are a type of organization forward-thinking enough to try and do it.
1: No, and that's and that's a really good point because I think I might have been talking to someone about this a year ago or two years ago, and it was around. I'm trying to remember what quarterback was hitting. Uh, free agency or his rookie scale contract was coming up but we could very well see a point we've we've focused so much on making the quarterback uh the highest paid position by a wide margin and it's you know it not to say that it's not the most important position on a football field but it feels almost kind of disrespectful to some of these you know offensive linemen or safeties positions that severely get underpaid that we're throwing 35 million a year to russell wilson or 34 million a year to ben roethlisberger we could start to see where where Teams are looking to minimize or lower down the pay, and you look at a team, you know, like like our like our two teams that we root for, Andrew Luck and the Colts. Uh they're, right now he's making twenty-four point five million a year, Drew Brees and the Saints making twenty-five million a year. You don't need to give out the thirty-five-thirty-four. Now, the player can certainly put yourself in a position. Russell Wilson, he's talented enough where he would have been able to draw 35 million from just about any team in the NFL. So the Seahawks were put in a bind and it was kind of where the Seahawks had to give that money or they were going to lose the, probably the greatest quarterback of their franchise, uh, in their franchise history. So, you know, the player can put a lot of pressure. What it comes down to is the player wanting to understand the situation, putting the, uh, valuation into winning because, you know, for a rich man, the difference between 23 million and 35 a year at a certain point, you've got enough money. And I, and I'm always for the players making the most money, but at a certain point you have to value winning more. And that's why you see a guy like Tom Brady, who has the six Super Bowl championships. He's making, what is he the five, six, seven, eight, 9 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He is making the 17th highest, uh, average salary heading into this season. Guys like that. He, he, you know, he's barely being paid higher average than this uh, rookie class. Kyler Murray is, uh, I mean, it's a huge jump down. Actually, excuse me, I was completely wrong with that. But Tom Brady is making dirt compared to other quarterbacks, yet he's got all the championships. And you look at a guy uh, just pulling other names. You know, Cam Newton is making 20. Uh, Philip Rivers making 20.8. They were in the AFC uh, playoffs this past year. It is going to be interesting to see whether teams and players start to value the winning over the difference between 20 million and 30.
0: Yeah, and and that's where uh, I think that Russell Wilson is so interesting. Obviously the highest paid quarterback yeah. entering this season uh, after uh, signing that big extension with the Seahawks that he did this offseason and you know he's this is his second extension with the team and and the first the first one he signed uh, back in 2015 was four years for $87.6 million, which was seen as relatively team-friendly at the time. He said, all right, we got the Legion of Boom. You know, we got, uh, if you don't pay me so much, you know, we're going to have plenty of room to make other big moves. Uh, and then it's kind of just got to the point where Russell Wilson was the Seahawks. Uh, and they, you know, were hinging on his success uh, in every game. And, you know, they had a rough offensive line. The defense fell apart, got old. Uh, and the team wasn't really supplanting the talent well enough. Or Wilson basically said, you know, either give me a, a huge deal or, I, or I'm out of here uh, after the season. And obviously they, they eventually caved given that four-year, $140 million extension in April. Um, you know, that got to the point where Wilson was like, all right, I, I put winning first. And, you know, you didn't put the product out on the field. So now it's it's my turn to get paid, uh, you know. Give me the money that I need. So right. you know, it, I think that that attitude is there and, and players taking those team friendly deals it's not necessarily guaranteed uh that the team is good but uh you look at guys like uh like drew Brees who is you know could be signing for 30 million dollars a year he's signing you know one two year deals at a time uh with the Saints just kind of taking it year by year with them uh until he feels like he can't play anymore in which case he'll ride off in the sunset hopefully. Um, but you know, he's, he's not re- requiring the team pay him, you know, $30 million a year, which he totally could, mm-hmm. you know, he's willing to, to cut down to 25 to give the team a little bit extra leverage, uh, you know, to make offers. And, you know, the saints are a team that manipulate the salary cap like no other. Uh, it's crazy. Some of the things that they do to restructure deals, you know, create signing bonuses, that type of thing. I mean, the saints are in the position they're in now because of the draft two years ago that they had, they got so many solid contributors for such cheap deals, um, that, You know, you you got Alvin Kamara, you got Ryan Ramchek on the offensive line, um, Marshawn Lattimore as a a star corner, um, you know, up and down that entire draft. They had plenty of picks that have made uh, solid contributions to this Saints team. Um, that helps them out, and that's the thing: is you got to draft well if, you, if you're going to be playing the, yeah. the quarterbacks as much as you are here. And you know, with the Colts, like you mentioned, they you know acquired so many draft assets that they were able to you know really build up um, a low payroll and, and give them the flexibility to make big moves if needed uh, to sign anybody uh, who kind of stands out. So you know, both teams taking very different approaches to the same uh, point. Um, but like, like we, to to bring this back around, I mean, I think it's just a dangerous game playing, paying quarterbacks this much. I mean, you know, the 10th highest paid quarterback or 11th highest now, uh, paid quarterback is Alex Smith, who, you know, might never play football again. You put so much money Mm -hmm. into this position, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo missed almost the entire year with a torn ACL. Uh, he, he's the top five paid quarterback type six paid quarterback, uh, in the NFL right now. And, And we saw what happened to the 49ers, you know, they end up with the number three pick in the draft. Uh, Or number two pick in the draft, excuse me, uh, with, you know, losing their quarterback because they just had nobody behind him. You know, if you have a a lower paid quarterback, maybe you pay a little bit higher for a veteran who could kind of step in uh, and, and, you know, be viable if you need to go to him, that kind of deal. So, you know, I, I think it's an intriguing option. Like I said, I'd love to see a team try and do it. Uh, they're either going to yeah. flop or it's going to pan out great. There's just got to be no in between. Uh, and I I like the Rams as a team to do that because I think they have such a good core around the quarterback position that they could <laughs> absorb the loss of Jared Goff.
1: Yeah, it is going to take. It is going to take you know a trial and error thing. You know, just as signing Kirk Cousins to the first fully guaranteed contract ever, that was a trial. That was it. It was an error. It hasn't really worked out yet. Maybe it by the end of the contract it does play out where it worked out fine. But it is going to take a team to do it. Uh, of those more two of those two teams, as we've been talking, it does seem that we at least both agree that the Rams would have the safer route of doing so, and might be the most experimental, given how forward-thinking that they are.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I love Sean McVay. I, he he really pushes the envelope, and you know I, I yeah. think this is something that he's kind of I wouldn't say preached, but it's certainly in line with the way that you know he uh, has kind of brought to this organization the way the line of thinking. Uh, very forward thinking. And, you know, I think it's something that uh, they should try. Uh, I really think that, you know, they would be better off moving on from Jared Goff and that Jared Goff would be better off moving on from the Rams. But you never know. I mean, he's a California guy. Uh, number one pick mm. for the franchise. There's there's you can't undersell the importance of, you know, the the off the field things, how much the fans love him, how much ownership loves him. I mean, obviously, the Rams are still trying to build up a fan base in L.A. Um, but at the same time, you know, Jared Goff uh, a good quarterback, but I would say not worth thirty-two million dollars.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, and where I'll finish off, and I, I, just repeating myself again, I'd be more willing to pay Dak than Goff, but I think both teams probably just because of the fact that the Rams were in the Super Bowl and Dak has made the playoffs. I think both do end up getting their deals. And it, what's funny about this this entire discussion is we didn't even talk about the fact that, you know, the Eagles are going to pay a boatload of cash to Carson Wentz because uh, how gifted he is as a quarterback. So we left him completely out of the equation, but I hope, you, just, I mean, I, I'm sure you just agree that he'd be getting that, that money no matter what.
0: I, I think, yeah, I think that he's going to be getting extended. I mean, there uh, it's really in Carson Wentz's best interest to re-sign with the Eagles because nobody else, Oh yeah. I mean, with his injury history, you know, his up and down year last year, Uh, not being able to be there for postseason runs it's kind of just been a theme for him and he needs to prove he can be healthy and he's kind of run out of time to do that in terms of a free agency stake now would he make money in free agency sure Um, but Eagles fans love Carson Wentz he he still you know was an MVP candidate before he had that that bad injury a couple years ago Um, you know they're certainly believe that he can get back to that point I fully expect uh, the Eagles to resign Carson Wentz
1: yeah definitely
0: all right, well, I think that's going to uh, wrap up our show today. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter uh, at. Blake Andrew Pace at Matt Wyrick FBB. I've added that to the end of my name as I, uh, yeah, share, share
1: your good news with us. I'm going to be the good news.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be down in Charlottesville, uh, starting, I moved down. Well, I'm going to be living at JMU for a little bit until I find an apartment, but I'm going to be moving to Charlottesville, uh, in about a month. My first day is on Monday. Jeez. It's already coming up. Uh, Seville, Seville weekly. I'm going to be their next news reporter. So I'm excited to join their staff. Uh, Charlottesville is a great town. I'm excited to get to know a lot of people down there and you know get assimilated in the town. It's, it's vibrant, a lot of culture, uh, and you know, obviously a college town, UVA, the Boston of college sports. Uh, can't complain yes. <laughs> about having front row seats to go to some of those games. I'm not going to be a sports reporter, unfortunately, there, although they don't have a sports reporter on staff. So if there are any big stories, I would be the one they decide oh, to do it. You. So maybe... If uh, UVA makes another run, I could uh, go to the Final Four, you know, one oversee. I mean, we'll we'll see. So I'm excited to get started there. And, um, yeah, my new Twitter is at MattWyrickFBB. Still going to stay on at Federal Baseball. Can't give up the Nats mm-hmm. uh, in blogging right now. I'm just, you know, I'm too attached. Uh, couldn't possibly right. stop writing about sports altogether. So I'm going to do both, and I'm excited to keep it going. And uh, looking forward to Charlottesville.
1: Of course. Yeah, so congratulations, of course. I know we've talked about this a couple times, but – Glad to see you get started there, and uh, yeah, Blake An- at Blake Andrew Pace, still doing uh, Colts and Syracuse Athletics for SB Nation, uh, working on a couple other things that I might be able to announce maybe in a couple weeks, but we're going to save that for later, um, but yeah, good times, we're working on stuff, we're making moves, I get to go to, uh, I'm checking out apartments in Nashville this weekend, so that'll be fun, looking forward to that, and oh, uh, you're going to be in enemy, yeah.
0: enemy territory now. I, just I know that. i
1: know man <laughs> oh my god yeah i know I, well the cool thing is i'll be able to catch a uh i'll be able to catch like a colts titans game in tennessee which would be pretty cool but i'll be able to scope out and maybe if i see any players i can you know crack a couple knees with some pipes
0: yeah <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's gonna do it uh for today's show have fun watching the finals blake we'll be back Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk again on Friday hopefully as long as our schedules work out uh, hoping to get right. back to you on Friday So, and then we might be having a revised schedule the week after where are looking at maybe switching to Tuesday, Thursdays um, mm-hmm. so stay tuned, we'll probably have some more details about that on Friday alright, thank you all so much for listening Blake, any parting words for the good people?
1: Uh, go Nick, still sad about
0: Zion <laughs> still sad, Blake alright everybody, thank you all so much for listening and have a good one